nobody gets to where they are alone. There's always somebody in your journey who guides you, encourages you, inspires you, or helps you in ways big or small to become the person that you are and or to do the things that you do. Rebecca Robinson is a fourth year student here at the University of Toronto, and she's been helping me bring this podcast to you over the last few months. I feel like it's Rebecca's time to shine, and it's my pleasure to introduce her to you. So without further ado, meet Rebecca. Today I've got Rebecca Robinson with me. Rebecca is a fourth year student at UT, and she's also co-producer for Living Well. Yay! <laughs> I'm certainly grateful. So <laughs> Rebecca has been working tirelessly on the back end, um, supporting the podcast, helping with the editing, helping with uh, the actual episodes, helping with the transcripts, and it's her time to shine. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Black History Month, episode holds a dear place in our hearts as Black women. And so I thought, why not? Why not? Let's have her host this one. So I figured we'd do an in-the-house episode with Rebecca before that episode so that you can get to know her. Oh, um, <laughs> welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to be on the mic, actually, instead of behind <laughs> the scenes, but it's, it's really cool. It's exciting. <laughs> yeah. So tell the folks about yourself. Tell them what you're studying, what your background is, what your interests are. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so um, like as you mentioned, I'm a fourth year student at UFT. I have a double major in history and Russian language and literature, and I have a minor in practical French. So yes, for those who may be confused, that means that I do speak French and Russian. Um, I've been studying both of those languages for many years now, um, French for over 14 years and Russian for about the last eight to nine years. So um, yeah, I just have a passion for languages and like communicating and like talking to different people trying to get different perspectives and things like that. I'm originally from the United States, so I grew up just outside of Baltimore. I went to school in Baltimore for most of my life. Um, and I came to Canada to come to university to study here at U of T. So I was drawn in by the uh, multicultural tourism thing that they tend to promote, you know, um, out there into the world. Literally knowing nothing about Toronto or Canada's history at all before coming here, I really was a shot in the dark. Um, and now I'm here and I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about Canadian history. I learned a lot of just about like blackness in Canada too. That's always been a really interesting experience to try to relate back to my family because most of my family is not super aware of like what it means to be Canadian, let alone a black Canadian. So yeah, I've learned a lot of things through osmosis, just through interactions with like people, institutions, but having taken some courses this year specifically on black Canadian history, um, it makes me feel like a lot of the things that I've experienced are justified because <laughs> there's a history, there's like receipts, there's a track record mm -hmm. of all of these practices being implemented. So it's not just something that I thought I made up in my mind. I'm like, no, this actually like is grounded in real historical interactions that continue to happen. So yeah. Yeah. Russian and French. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's lots of other things that you said there that are interesting, but why Russian, why French? I think that's a really great question and it's one I get a lot. Um, I started French like when I was super young and I just love the idea of it being a puzzle. So trying to figure out like, oh, if I say this, then it means this. It felt like a secret code almost, like a secret language that I could fool people with. But then as I like got better at it, I could actually like have conversations with people and be exposed to a different kind of worldview that I wouldn't necessarily get that would be translated into English. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then Russian was kind of a high school thing. So um, my high school offered a double language track. And I was like, hmm, I don't know. Russian seems kind of like another puzzle to figure out. Why not do that one? Um, and in the course of like studying it, I realized that there's actually a lot of similarities. Um, there's a lot of like words borrowed from French into Russian as well, because fun fact, the uh, Russian imperial court used to speak French. So a lot of those like high flouty words got adopted into the vocabulary. So my favorite like example of a cognate is koshmar. Koshmar is the same in both French and Russian, meaning nightmare. So I don't know. I think that's really interesting. <laughs> oh, of all words. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's mean, a cool one. a bunch of other examples. Yeah, yeah. That is a cool one, Koshmar. Now mm-hmm. I know a French and Russian word. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exactly. Ah, dope, dope, dope. So you're also studying history. So what's the passion there? History, it actually didn't start in high school. In fact, like I didn't take many history courses in high school, but the ones that I did end up taking that were required of me, um, it was really cool to see how these events that we seem to like relegate into the past actually having effects on like contemporary life and i noticed this especially because so i graduated high school in like the 2016 2017 school year so this is right around like the u.s presidential election very (laughs) contentious year very difficult year to be in school i would say um but yeah just kind of reckoning with the idea that these events aren't like don't take place in a vacuum like they don't happen in isolation so each event that happens after that is a product of something that happened before and that's not something a lot of people are aware of and a lot of people that tend to think that studying history means like memorizing people and memorizing dates and like these really sometimes random useless facts mm-hmm. but like it's a matter of understanding the like not the super specific um aspects of the history but just like the themes the themes that mm-hmm. continue to carry on um through over time and unfortunately we have a lot of things in our contemporary day that are themes that have been here for centuries and not a lot of people realize that like yeah this is a product of things that have happened in the past they just kind of tend to forget that or just aren't aware of it so right the cultural and contemporary significance Mm -hmm. of of the things not just the things themselves exactly so you know as you're learning black canadian history um, I think it's an interesting intersection between, um, you know, your identity as an Amer- a Black American person, because, right. you know, it feels like us in North America, I mean, those of us who don't live under a rock, like, you know, are plugged in quite uh, significantly to American themes and ideas, right? right. And so a lot of people know, um, you know, the history of the transatlantic slave trade in America, right? And, yeah. and Canada loves to, loves to do that thing of distancing itself from those kinds of atrocities and those kinds of histories. Um, so, thinking, yeah. <laughs> uh, so as a Black American then, where that history is actually quite um, predominant in your cultural narrative, um, mm-hmm. what, is it, what was it like learning and understanding those nuances about Canada? I think it required a lot of unlearning because I remember when I first came here, I asked a friend who was also a Black Canadian and I was like, so what is, what is left with the Black Canadians? Like, what's that experience like? And they were like, yeah, it's not really a thing here. We don't really have that same kind of Black Canadian identity that you might identify with as being African-American. And I thought that was kind of weird because I was like, hmm, I feel like that's not true. I feel like there's there's plenty of different like Black Canadians here who have an identifiable cultural culture, but, you know, we might not be super aware of it. So I guess one of the things that I learned was, you know, there's different waves of immigration that kind of kind of treat this idea of like black identity very differently right because Mm -hmm. 
uh, when I come into black spaces in Canada, like I'm hyper aware of the fact that like my culture is like American culture, which feels weird to say out loud. But um, in comparison to other people who might have other different ethnic identities, like I don't have like a specific place or region or traditions that I can point to that don't exist outside of the context um, of slavery that have like happened mm -hmm. in, in the United States. So I guess coming to Canada, it's trying to figure out like, how do you reckon with the idea that like there are black Canadians but then there's also other black people people of African descent that don't necessarily identify with this label I feel like it's not as vague I feel like it's more specific here in Canada um where in the U.S. I think tends to, I think it tends to be more broad um mm -hmm. which has it's has benefits and kind of you know um what's the opposite of benefits pitfalls <laughs> pros and cons pros and cons there we go that so um yeah that's one of the things that i've been trying to tease out a little bit since i've been here so also you I mean you came here as a student right to be a student <laughs> international student and it's interesting right when we think about international student what pops into mind is not necessarily our north american peers right a hundred percent so from that particular lens what has it been like being an international student at u of t yeah, I remember getting that question a lot in my first year when I would tell people that I'm an international student. They're like, you're from the U.S., you're not an international student. And I'm like, if I'm not an international student, then tell that to my international tuition because <laughs> that's what I'm paying at this point, you know? So, um, yeah, the Canadian government doesn't seem to think so. So um, I don't know. It's interesting because I feel like when it came to me, I guess, quote unquote, assimilating into Canada or at least easing into my transition, mm -hmm. there there wasn't too many jarring things. I feel like I was able to, to transition rather smoothly um, in comparison to like some of my other friends who came from context outside of like the North American context. Um, but I feel like there were still moments that were rather jarring, I would say, that like I wasn't expecting to be very different. And because they were different, I was like, hmm, that's weird, that's different. And so I noticed that a lot in like the social interactions between people, um, mostly in outside of academic context, like I'm talking between friends, when you visit friends' houses, there are certain customs that we don't really do in the U.S. that I wasn't super aware of. And just how people tend to talk to one another, I was like, oh, this is, this is different. Like, I wasn't expecting that to be the case. Um, so yeah, I can't pinpoint to an, like an exact specific example, but it's that feeling I get when I'm in a space that feels a little bit out of my element. I'm like, oh no, wait, this is different. Like, I thought it was going to be the same, but it's not, it doesn't feel the same. Um, so yeah, those, I think that's been the most, I think that's been the point where there's been the most growth because I've been able to like understand how people live differently in that way. But um, sometimes it's a little confusing because everyone loves to make fun of Americans for like behaving a certain way. I'm like, hmm, Canadians behave kind of weird too sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair statement. Yeah. <laughs> there's oddities in every culture, right? And, 100%. I mean, there's also oddities by virtue of the fact that there's some there's difference, right? And so you have to, you have to um, reckon with that. What's the weirdest Canadian thing that you, <laughs> that you encounter? That's, that's a great question. <laughs> I don't know. One of the things that comes to mind, and this might just be from like my own personal context, but I always find it really interesting that people are so, this is random, random example, but like people take off their shoes when they enter people's homes. Like, I feel like we should be doing that more in the States, but I can pretty Thank much you. guarantee you whenever 
I go into a friend's house, I've never really felt like the need or like been compelled to take off my shoes because it would feel weird to be walking around in my socks in somebody else's house. I don't know. That is like a weird context that I've come to enjoy being here, but it was very weird at first. I was like, wait, wait, what are we doing? Even people's dorm rooms, like not even people's houses, like you would go into someone else's dorm room and you were like expected to take off your shoes before entering their room. And I was like, what's happening? What is this? I mean, it does make sense. Yeah, it makes but. sense. Especially in the winter. Like, in the winter, it yeah. definitely makes sense. But yeah, yeah. any other time of year, I'm like, this is weird. Like, I don't want to be barefoot in your house. Like, that's weird. <laughs> but, and, but you know what, too? Like, Canadians do laugh at Americans about that. But there's lots of other countries in which it would make sense to keep on your shoes just because of the realities of climate and what may right. be running around, scurrying around. So... <laughs> It does depend, right? Like your con- it has to be context specific. So just because it's it's you know weird here to not take off your shoes doesn't mean it wouldn't be acceptable elsewhere. So that's yeah, that's cool. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, you're also a student living in the reality of Corona. You said you left high school with the tumultuous election. You know, you're leaving university with you know another. I mean, tumultuous election in a, in a set. Well, I mean, not in a sense. I mean. <laughs> the man rat <laughs> rip shot <laughs> towards the end. <laughs> but then also beyond elections, right? Also just the reality of COVID. So how have you been, you know, trying to keep yourself um, well and, or, or just, you know, letting yourself live in the fact that maybe you're not? What's, what's, what's the experience been like? That's, that's a really great question because I've been talking to a lot of my friends about this rather recently um, because I think, first semester i was just very much aware of the fact i'm like okay online classes is a thing we just have to suck it up and get through it there was a promise or not a promise there was maybe a glint of hope that we might be able to return to in-person classes second semester um and there was just some things to like look forward to that maybe things would change second semester so i think that's what really got me through first semester i'm like it's fine it's not all for naught like we might have hope in the future so let's just keep riding on that um it was really disappointing not to have access to some of my favorite extra extracurricular activities um, that kind of allow me to engage in that wellness thing. For me, it's playing volleyball. Love playing volleyball. Volleyball doesn't love me back, but that's okay. I still, <laughs> I still love playing. Um, but yeah, it's been really hard not having access to like a gym in order to like use that as like a space to just work on myself and like have that time for myself. Um, I also really love to play the piano, but I also don't have access to a piano in my dorm room. And so usually my residence hall has Um, music rooms that we're allowed to use but because of the pandemic they're closed so that's usually a way that I like to escape and kind of you know gather my thoughts but haven't been able to do that so it's required getting creative with some different things that I can do in my room in order to try to mimic that sense of release um, mimic that sense of like comfort Um, it doesn't help that I'm far away from my family and Mm -hmm. um, yeah it's watch like I FaceTime them every day multiple times a day my mom's probably tired of it call her like four or five times a day um I'm sure she's not let's let's tag mom and ask her <laughs> exactly call, call him mom phone in mom phone a friend um no I'm sure she loves it but it's really hard because you know they they miss me as much as I miss them and not being able to travel home for the holidays because of like travel restrictions and not wanting to quarantine for basically a month like that was not really on my in my cards so that's made things really difficult to like focus on wellness at the same time like you said I'm a student mm-hmm. and there's like a demand from the institution to still generate and produce work as if we weren't in a pandemic you know mm-hmm. um to just read and there's nothing else to do so 
nothing else to distract me from doing my reading. So then when I don't feel like doing my readings, it just feels like that much harder because mm. you can't even reward yourself for getting through it because you just have more to do. So, mm -hmm. um, and then coming into second semester, um, it's increasingly becoming more and more scary because I don't know where I'll be after I graduate. So I don't know if that means going back home. I'm in the process of applying to some master's programs, but if that doesn't work out, then I have to start looking for a job. And in this economy, <laughs> like that seems to be really difficult. So especially for someone who studies history. <laughs> so um, yeah, those are those moments of uncertainty and like not really sure what this is all leading to is kind of kind of terrifying and mm. i've tried to make peace with it but it becomes harder and harder every day mm. So, mm. yeah <laughs> i mean those are really valid concerns i'm you know not a bright sider in the sense that <laughs> i'm i'm you know i don't always think that you have to look at the bright side or something i think it's fair to honor you know those concerns and those feelings right um for for a period and then and then it'll also give you space then to, okay, what can I do? Yeah. Um, so I think that's fair. Those are good. Yeah. <laughs> um, fair. You know, you, you know where I'm at. So we can connect exactly. about jobs. Okay, <laughs> exactly. All the things. But a um, couple points for the people listening at home. If you have a keyboard, give it to Rebecca. Um, Please, thank you. <laughs> we'll, we'll include her. We'll include her socials. So, you know, feel free to offer that Absolutely. donation. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, in all seriousness, like, you know, those outlets are important and it'd be interesting to see if there's opportunities for, um, the university to consider those kinds of things, um, and how, how they would, right? Um, yeah, I just think there's a lot more considerations that kind of need to go into understanding what the student experience looks like from the online perspective, because mm -hmm. I think at the beginning of the term, there were surveys sent out like, oh, what is your... Kind of situation in this moment where you're trying to join in online classes but no one's really considering things outside of the academic sphere like mm. no one's really questioning like i'm also an ra at new college and so i feel really bad for first year students right like how do you kind of introduce them to this massive institution mm -hmm. without really helping them help guide or transition them through there so um, there's just access to things that would allow you to meet people make you feel like you're a part of the community that are kind of missing in this moment and I don't know if the university's done a good enough job at trying to address those out like those challenges because I think that's that's what's really failing a lot of students right now, feeling like their only job is to be a student and is to study when that's not true. Like we are mm. human beings who just happen to be students in this moment, but that doesn't mean that we don't need access to other spaces and activities that allow us to feel like human beings. Right. So, so that's also a good question about survey design, right? Like what is it that you're really trying to ask and who have you asked about what you need to ask <laughs> exactly <laughs> so um and, and definitely you know it, it's a novel situation so there's you know i'm staff so i know there's staff people who are thinking about it and, and trying to but that doesn't mean that they can't do better and ask you know yeah. more direct questions that get to your experience yeah i think that's also really fair too and i think that like because the situation has been increasingly unprecedented like you know i've kind of allowed that to, to make sense to me but We've also been in this pandemic for almost a whole year and like almost going mm -hmm. through two school years at this point. So I just think there needs to be a little bit more interrogation as to what's going on, especially if they anticipate this going into the next school year. Like yeah. some serious questions need to be yeah. asked. I can get down with that, that question, that perspective. Absolutely. For sure, for yeah. sure, for sure, for sure. 
So principal question of living well is mm. what does it mean to live and be well to you? I love that question. I think it's really beautiful because you can get a variety of answers. And I guess how I would answer that question would be, for me, it's like my relationships, the people who I get to communicate with, if not on a regular basis, even on like a semi-regular basis. But I think this year and this pandemic has really taught me to, that my relationships with my friends, with my family are literally the most important thing that will always help keep me going. And if I didn't have them throughout this time, I genuinely don't know if I would have mm -hmm. been able to get this far. So um, for me, it's having those strong relationships. It's pouring into them as much as they help to like build me up. So mm -hmm. making sure to check in with my friends, making sure to like check in with my family because I know that a lot of them are struggling as well. Checking in with my grandparents. I've been calling my grandparents a lot more frequently <laughs> than I probably ever have, but it's like to check in and make sure that they're doing okay too. Um, my family started this like tradition almost at the beginning of the pandemic where we would do weekly Zoom calls. So it'd be like my mom's entire extended side of the family. And we'd get on a call and just do updates. And my cousin has a little one-year-old. And so just watching him grow and like starting to walk and those things, it's made that distance because we're all across the country, right? Mm -hmm. North America at this point. Um, mm -hmm. And just trying to build that into our routines because that's kind of what helps sustain me. So wellness for me is in the little crepits of my relationships and how they make me feel cool. So. <laughs> yeah, I've always been wanting to say that like people are my greatest, I don't wanna say resource because I wanna say it's something like I use, but resource for lack of a better word, right? Like yeah. I wouldn't be anywhere without people, you know? So yeah, and the stories that they share, I mean, that's why I love this yeah. job, working with this team, working with podcasting, because I get to hear so many different stories from so many different people, even if it's just me on the back end listening to them, you know, <laughs> like hearing those conversations is like what makes this job super fun because yeah. people tell stories in different ways. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Who are some of your famous storytellers then? Oh, that's such a challenging question. <laughs> um, no, I'm kind of what comes to mind is I'm a really big fan of Toni Morrison's work. Um, mm -hmm. Beloved was my favorite book that we read in high school. Um, over the summer, I read The Bluest Eye. And I just, I, I love the way that her, she uses almost like magical realism in that sort of sense. Because that's my ideal kind of fiction is, you know, not too, not too real, but just real enough that you can feel it. But there's mm -hmm. like some supernatural elements tossed in there too. So and I also read The Water Dancer by ta Coates over the summer. And that was really beautiful. It was like in a similar style. So I really appreciate works like that, that infuse tradition and history, of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so any story like that has been really cool. Um, and I also recently got into a lot of science fiction um, stories over the summer as well, or rather recently um, reading N.K. Jemisin's like collection mm -hmm. of short stories. So that's been really beautiful too. I've been trying to just, feed my mind more works by other black authors because I feel like we don't, especially what I study, we don't get enough of that. So trying to allow myself to, um, to really soak in those words because there's a lot of really important things to say there. So. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, The Son of Baldwin. It's like, he's the, um, it's really, his name is Robert Jones Jr. But his handle on socials is The Son of Baldwin. And he's this beautiful commentator and one of his favorite, I mean, it's probably, I mean, other than Baldwin himself, <laughs> it, um, 
his, I think, next favorite um, writer is Toni Morrison. Ooh. And yeah, and Robert Jones Jr. just came out with this book called The Prophets. And I'm looking up, that's what I keep looking up at. I'm looking <laughs> up at it right now being like, please, please. I'm just waiting for my work day to end. So hey, I yo, could, there you know, go. crack that one page open. So that's a book suggestion if you like that kind of style. And I think it is actually um, takes place in a historical time and comes to a present, not this present, but a present, right? A present, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. Um, so Black History Month is a coming of. Woohoo! It's my favorite Woo. month. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so tell the folks about the episode that you're gonna be hosting. Absolutely. I'm really excited because this episode um is gonna be titled Black Beauties. And so we're just gonna be unpacking what beauty and blackness kind of have intertwined what's going on between those two things how do we understand beauty um in the black community how do we understand how those two words can kind of create and generate its own sort of special field as well so we're going to talk about different artists and creatives um in different industries and different fields and getting their take and perspective on what beauty means for them uh, especially as black creators so i'm looking forward to that i'm looking oh, for yeah. that conversation oh yeah <laughs> so we have some good good guests are coming yeah. so black aesthetics and all this yeah that's dope stay tuned <laughs> stay tuned stay tuned yes yes yeah. uh, rebecca any final thoughts or words or anything you want to share before we hmm. taper off I think I'm just really excited to get involved in storytelling. This is something that I've been working towards and I haven't had too many things published or put out in the open. I usually write and produce these, this content for myself, but it's really cool to have it out in the open and sharing with other folks. And, you know, I hope people get to interact and engage with it and, you know, maybe ask some questions and respond to things on social media. So I really hope that you take these episodes into consideration when thinking about how you want to channel living well in this wild, wild world that we live in. <laughs> wild, wild, wild world. Yes, it's like a saloon out here these days. Exactly. <laughs> Literally, people showing up with guns in the public. Jesus Lord. Oh gosh, um, God help us all. <laughs> God help us all. But, you know, we have our people, people like you to help make things, you know, go just a little bit smoother and be just a little bit brighter. So, for that we are grateful. Yeah. So thank you for joining me. Folks, stay tuned. You're going to hear Rebecca doing a brilliant job. I have faith. I have no doubt um, for our next episode. Take care, care y'all. <laughs> it's Black History Month. And so I want to ask you, yes, you, you as an individual, you as a member of society, you as a person in this world, what are you doing to make the lives of Black people Trans black people, cisgendered men and women, black boys and girls, black people, however they identify, what are you doing to make their lives better? And I don't mean walking up to a black person and saying, hi, black person, I see you. <laughs> no, no, no. What are you doing to make the world more just from wherever you are? Think about it.